The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 640 Toronto. Hey, hey everybody, and welcome. Another Friday is upon us, and uh, tuck in. The next half hour is going to be interesting. You can always contribute, by the way, help at disabilityrights.ca here on the Disability Law Show. Reaching out to either uh, Savannah Tamarkin, co-founding partner, Sam Firu Tamarkin, LLP, the most positively reviewed law firm in this country, or Albert Klein is here as well, doing his thing, one 855 215900 again email help at disabilityrights.ca pitfalls of social media we're going to get to that as it relates to uh to the show and everything we talk about here uh savan but we always start off with the case of the day pal what uh what do you got cooking hey john great to be with you and with our listeners let me start off with a, um, a discussion uh that i had earlier this week with a gentleman uh, from just uh, north of Toronto, about a, an hour north of Toronto, around Newmarket area. He was telling me that uh, a few weeks back, he was driving with a friend to Muskoka, and uh, they were rear-ended uh, by a large SUV on the highway. Uh, it was a fairly significant accident, and uh, he was okay, but his friend suffered a, a burst fracture uh, to, to his spine. Uh, and you know, we're talking about you know when you, you have multiple parts of the vertebrae that are crushed, uh, possibly causing bone fragments to scatter. It's a serious injury, uh, and you know generally speaking, when we're dealing with rear end collisions, we typically see herniated discs, we see soft tissue injuries, sometimes we see flexion fractures, compression fractures, fracture dislocations, a whole bunch of different injuries you can suffer to your spine in addition to other kinds of injuries. And so when we when when he spoke with me, I was asking him some details, and I learned that his friend is in his early forties. He's a mechanical engineer, and, and you know he obviously has to get medical help with this. He's off work at this point, uh, so uh, right now he's getting accident benefits, or he's in the process of getting accident benefits from his automobile insurer. Uh, actually, the insurer, the, the insurance company of the automobile he was in, um, and and. He was asking me, is his friends entitled to any compensation from whoever rear-ended them, whoever was at fault for the accident? I mean, fault here is obviously not an issue. Uh, Whoever rear-ended them is 100% at fault. The only question is, is this the kind of case that will gather compensation? And if so, how much? And I always tell people that when you're dealing with a fairly recent accident, fairly recent injuries, it's very difficult immediately to put a number in terms of the compensation, the insurance company of whoever caused the accident needs to pay you because we don't have a crystal ball. I have no idea if he's going to be off work for the next month, two months, a year, two years, or forever. Uh, and that's important. Why is it important? Because under Ontario law, it's not simple to get compensation for car accidents. Now, I don't want to dissuade anyone from getting legal help or getting a consultation. I think if you're injured, whether it's a car accident, a slip and fall, or any kind of injury, because of someone's negligence, someone else's negligence, you should be contacting a personal injury lawyer. And by the way, that's what our team does across Ontario. Uh, we, we advise people for free about these kinds of cases uh, and get the information you need to assess whether or not it makes sense to pursue a claim. And the reason why in this case, I told them that his friend likely has a, a case and we, we need to start working on it fairly quickly is because of the type of injury he has and because he's off work right now and because the doctors are saying that in their experience, this kind of an injury is likely going to be long-standing. So even if he's able to go back to work, he's probably going to have some impairments 
that are going to uh, not allow him to work, let's say, full-time hours into the future or not allow him to advance in his field because he can't sit for too long. He won't be able to, you know, he'll, he'll be impaired. I mean, you're talking about a spinal injury and the person is not 18 years old. Okay. He's the person is in his forties. Uh, I'm in my forties. I mean, you know, you know what that's like, John, it's not easy to get over uh, certain types of injuries at, at a certain age. So it's really critical to understand that when you're dealing with a car accident, there are two types of claims you potentially have. One is called accident benefits. And I talked about that. And that's when you're dealing with benefits that you're entitled to due to your injuries, regardless of who's at fault, from the insurance of the vehicle you were in at the time. Okay. Uh, And that includes income replacement, generally up to $400 per week. There's a formula we use to calculate that. Sometimes it's higher than that, depending on the kind of insurance coverage you have. But typically it's 400 bucks a week. And there are other types of expenses you may be entitled to or, or compensation you may be entitled to from your own uh, automobile insurance company, again, depending on the severity of your injuries. The other kind of claim you may have is the tort claim. The tort claim, by tort, I don't mean a cake. I mean, this is where you have a legal claim against whoever was at fault. So it's not your vehicle's insurance company that's responsible for that particular compensation. It's the insurance company of whoever caused your accident. So in this case, with this gentleman, it's the other driver's insurance company. And when we're talking about the tort claim, we're looking at potential income losses generally into the future. If this person is unable to work or work to the same capacity as he has prior to the accident, that insurance company may have to pay him for those losses into the future. Uh, And we can do a whole show about how that is looked at and calculated. Uh, Pain and suffering, right? I mean, if a person is injured like that and they have this kind of a permanent injury uh, that impairs them, he's going to be entitled to that kind of compensation. And that could range you know, anywhere from a few thousand bucks up to over $300,000 just for the pain and suffering. Uh, you're talking about expenses around the home. What if this person now needs help, uh, you know, to, to mow the lawn, to clear the snow? What if this person's family now has to take time off work and actually help this person at home, bathe him, help him out, cook, whatever the issue is, are those family members entitled to compensation? Arguably, yes, under the law, they may be entitled to compensation. So you can have a claim like this gentleman, the way he described it to me, that could easily get to, I don't know, two, three, four, five, six hundred thousand dollars $600,000, maybe Jeez. even more if he can't work in the future. And the mistake a lot of people make, by the way, John, is they, first of all, either brush it off or they wait too long to start this claim, or they go to the wrong lawyer, the wrong law firm that misassesses or doesn't understand the full scope of their claim. Mm-hmm. I'm reminded of a claim that came to our office a few years back. It was a, a brain injury claim. This lady fell on a pothole or tripped over a pothole, hit her head on a vehicle, suffered the brain injury. And that person went to another law firm. They eventually came to us. And when we looked at the claim that was filed by the other lawyer, that claim did not even mention a brain injury. Well, if you don't mention a brain injury in the legal claim, why would the insurance company pay for that? So, so again, it's really critical to make sure you go to the right lawyer. So when, whether you're dealing with a car accident or a slip and fall or whatever other kind of injury, right? We're in the summer months now, cottage injuries, bicycle injuries, all that kind of stuff. You need the right legal advice. And if it's not you as a listener who needs that advice, you're just tuning in because this is of interest to you. Think about any friends or family members that may need this help who want to perhaps you know, get this information, whether it's from us, from myself, from a colleague of mine. The point is you need to get the right information. Don't just go on Google and Google this stuff because you're not you're gonna get first of all a lot of misleading information, a lot of information from the states 
maybe even other provinces in Canada. And, and the laws are very different all over the place. Ontario's laws as it relates to car accidents are very different than Quebec, than Alberta, mm-hmm. than BC, and, and of course, from the States. So, so, you know, give us a call, email us. It'll cost nothing to talk to us. And that number, of course, we always give it out every show here. It's uh, help at disabilityrights.ca email and that phone number, one 821 5900 A couple minutes to go here before we uh, take a short break, guys. Albert, what do you got uh, What do you got on your uh, on your end, man? Thanks, John. So I was speaking with a gentleman earlier this week, and he tripped and fell outside of the store on some stairs, which were seemingly hazardous. I think they were broken, and there was actually a crack in the stairs, and as a result, they were extremely uneven. And he, when he was traveling down these stairs, mm-hmm. he fell fractured his knee, hurt his back, and suffered a concussion as he slipped and sort of rolled down the stairs. So I'm speaking with him, trying to assess whether or not I can actually help him. And I asked if he had any photos of the area in which he fell. And he said, no, I I didn't take any. I mean, of course, when I fell, the first thing I wasn't thinking is, let me take a bunch of photos of exactly what I fell. For sure. I hit hit my head, my back was sore, I actually fractured my knees, he he had to be taken off taken off in an ambulance. And so the first thing he's thinking isn't, let me take a bunch of photos. Unfortunately, that's really what you should be doing. And at a, at a very minimum, if you're with someone, they should be thinking, I need to get as much contemporary, contemporaneous evidence as possible mm-hmm. to ultimately prove my case. Because now we have a bit of a problem. So I asked him, I said, why don't you go back to the area where you fell? You know exactly where you fell. Take a bunch of photos from a bunch of angles. We need to be able to show why this staircase actually caused your fall. And so he goes back to uh, the store in which he fell, and the stairs have been completely fixed. Come on. And, and so now we're, now we're in a bit of a, now we have a bit of a problem here because we have to prove our case at law. That's our obligation. We need to prove that his injuries were caused by someone's negligence. So basically, they should have fixed the stair. They didn't. And their failure to fix this stair has caused all of these different injuries. But it's much tougher to prove when the staircase actually looks perfect. And it's a bit of a he said, she said situation. Obviously, m- most, most, most store owners aren't actually going to admit that they did something wrong. They may not even admit that they fixed the stair at some point. And so we have a bit of an evidentiary issue. And so, I mean, I always urge my clients, one of the first things that I say and I ask for anytime I speak to a prospect client is, do you have photos of the place or the area in which you fell? And really, there is no substitute when you're trying to prove your case to contemporaneous photos taken on the day so that the storefront or the store owner can't ultimately say, this wasn't the situation or this wasn't how it looked when you fell. If, if, if it's, if it's timestamps, if you have some photos, if you have a video, that's going to prove your case all that much more. Yeah, it's almost like you want to keep your head in the game when it comes to something like that. And this is even uh, twice as important, if not more, Savannah and Albert, when it comes to wintertime. Because, I mean, other than guys, you know, they sneaking in and fixing those steps. I mean, if this was a matter of ice or slush on the outside, next day is really warm. You don't get a picture of it. It's gone forever, right? Exactly. 
Yeah, yeah, it could be tough. We got uh, lots more coming up here, guys. We want to take a short break, give you time to uh, to reset. You want to send along an email anytime for that matter. Doesn't matter if you want to do it now or otherwise. Help at disabilityrights.ca. The phone number to reach Albert, his team. Same goes for Savan. That is one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. And a free and anonymous resource for you to also to ask questions that is searchable completely. MyDisabilityQuestions.com. Short break. Right back. More of the Friday edition of the Disability Law Show continues. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 640 Toronto. And welcome back at Disability Law Show. Your chance to reach out is anytime to Savan or Albert or their team, anybody at the firm you care to talk to and have a lengthier conversation in private. That's no problem. Toll free, obviously. one 855 2-1-5900, help at disabilityrights.ca. We'll try to go to the email before the end of the show. But this is a topic I don't think we've covered. If we have, uh, Savannah, Albert, it's, it's been a long time because I don't remember. That is the pitfalls of social media when it comes to uh, disability law and the stuff we talk about on the show. What do you, uh, what do you talk about, uh, Savannah? What do you mean by that? John, this is something that comes up quite a lot. And we have both clients as well as people who uh, have contacted us as a result of being informed by their insurance companies that, uh, or by their lawyers, current lawyers, not, not us, uh, that their claims are in jeopardy because of what the insurance company was able to find out on social media. And, you know, I, I'm going to, I'm going to be very blunt here. Okay. I, I'm a dinosaur. I don't <laughs> Facebook. I don't have Instagram. I don't understand most of this lingo. My daughter knows more about the stuff than I do a lot more. Uh, but what I do know is that insurance companies use everything they have in their arsenal to either avoid paying you or take the position that uh, you know, you're not entitled to compensation because you're not injured, you're not disabled, etc. And what they'll do is they'll simply Google you. It's really that simple. They'll try and find your Facebook page. They'll try and find Instagram posts, uh, LinkedIn, anything they can get their hands on that's public, right? They can get into your privacy settings, through your privacy settings. But they'll get to anything they can to show that, look, this person is talking about their vacation last week and how they played volleyball, and yet they're saying mm-hmm. they can't go to work. Uh, they're going to come up with anything they can. And so w- w- when, when you are dealing with a legal claim for compensation for injuries or disability, you need to be very careful. I tell people, look, I'm not saying don't use social media. Some people, it's like breathing air. You can't tell them not to do it. But you have to be careful. So either don't do it because you don't want anything you post to get misconstrued. By the way, I'm not telling people, I want to make this clear, not telling people to lie. If you are not injured then you're saying you are, you're not entitled to compensation. The insurance company is completely right for not paying you. But if you are disabled, if you are injured, and really the social media platforms you're using are one of the ways that make you feel better about yourself, just be careful about how that may get construed. How the other side is going to use it against you. You know the the, the all those that phrase, John, and from TV. Whatever you say can and will be used against you in a court of law. That's right. Well, let me tell you this: whatever can will, uh, uh, whatever the insurance company can, uh, they will use against you. Not in a court of law necessarily, but to cut you off or to not pay you. And they're they're going to do that. That's not even a question. The other thing that insurance companies do is they employ private investigators, and private investigators are pretty adept. Uh, again, at finding this kind of information. So either don't use social media 
when you have a claim for disability or for your injuries, if you're concerned about this, again, don't lie, but just don't use it. Don't give the insurance company or the private investigators employed by them the ability to use it against you. Mm -hmm. Or if you use it, use it understanding that you are potentially opening yourself up to scrutiny. Be very careful. Now, some people say, yeah, but what I put there is not representative of how I feel every day. It was just, you know, a birthday party for my brother last night that I had to go. So I'm just posting a nice picture. Yeah. I understand that. That's not the point. The point is the insurance company will use it against you. You need to be very careful. The other thing is this. Insurance companies will often, in the context of a legal proceeding, ask you to preserve everything in your social media accounts. Uh, and, and they'll tell your lawyer to do that. And, you know, in the context of a legal proceeding, if that is an undertaking that has been given to the insurance company to preserve this information and you don't, you could be in breach of that obligation. I don't want to get into the legalities too much, just to say that, look, you got to be very careful. If you have an injury claim or a disability claim with an insurance company, they will snoop around. It's very simple. Everyone does that, right? Potential employers now do that when they Google interviews, uh, interviewees. Uh, insurance companies do that with potential claimants. That's, that's pretty much a given right now. And I can tell you, by the way, John, that when I used to do defense work eons, eons ago, we didn't have that ability. We didn't have all these Facebook posts right. and Instagram and all that. That was so many years ago. Nowadays, it's just it's it's uh, you know it, it's 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 a joke for what insurance companies sometimes are able to get from these social media posts. It's crazy, and it's this one post, one picture, one video that could torpedo your case completely. So just be very very careful. I don't know, Albert. You must have come up with this kind of stuff too. You must have seen this in the context of some of your cases, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we see, we, we, we do unfortunately see it all the time and it definitely makes people feel very on guard because they feel like their life is essentially under a microscope. And I mean, at the end of the day, it, it is a, a bit of a balance. I mean, a lot of times things do get really taken out of context. And for example, we see all the time where insurance companies like to conduct hours and days even of surveillance. And sometimes they may see someone going to the grocery store, which obviously they have to do, or taking out the garbage, which obviously they have to do because maybe they don't live with someone else at home. And that gets taken out of context, right? And that, and that often gets used by the insurance companies to try and suggest that the person is not injured what, whatsoever. And so at the end of the day, I mean, there, there, there is a balance. You, you have to live your life, but you also have to be mindful that these things are going to get used against you. And I mean, the, the perfect plaintiff is going to be someone who absolutely does nothing because then the insurance company doesn't have anything to do, uh, do or show against you. And mm -hmm. obviously that's not realistic. So there, there, there's some sort of balance in there, but generally speaking, you want to be mindful that anything you are doing and anything that you are posting may ultimately be used against you. Yeah, it's you know it's interesting, guys. Amount with social media and all the different apps and everything it is. It it can be. I would imagine for an insurance company like shooting fish in a barrel if somebody's not careful. And and you should really any even beyond any sort of claim that you're worried about the insurance company seeing anything on social. Just generally, your, your privacy settings should be should be topped out for safety reasons, if nothing else. So yeah, I know, Savannah, We once had that. Uh, we once had a guest on the show who who said you know go dark for the uh, for the remaining <laughs> yeah. time that you're there. I don't know if that's necessary, but I know to you, he was trying to say is just you know settle down with the posting every 10 minutes right well that guest was a private investigator and yeah. we had him on the show quite a few times actually yeah. uh in, in our offices in bc and in ontario here and you're right john i mean 
that's that's the advice that that I would give uh, claimants out there. If you really do need to use your social media, just be mindful that the insurance mm-hmm. company is likely to see whatever you post. Let's get to an email, guys, with our remaining time. Sophia writes in, again, uh, help at disabilityrights.ca. says, hey, guys, I was out with a couple of my best friends or uh, on a girls' night out last week. Yeah. And we came out of the restaurant. We made our way to our cars across the street in the parking lot. One of my friends tripped on a slab of concrete that was just left in the middle of the parking lot. There were almost no lights, and uh, it was dark. She tripped forward and bruised her hands and hit her head on the pavement, breaking a couple of teeth. She's still dizzy and has headaches. We took her to emergency after this, and she was diagnosed with a concussion and lots of soft tissue injuries. I don't understand why that slab of concrete was left there in the first place. It served no purpose. We took photos of it uh, a day later and told the uh, and told the day guard, "Is this something you can help her with?" Uh, Sophia, thank you for for emailing us. Uh, yes, it's something absolutely we can help with. And there's a few points here that I want to talk about. Number one. I agree with you. There is zero reason why that piece of concrete was, was left there. Obviously, it was a hazard. There was no reason for it. I've had cases like that. And I can tell you when we're dealing with a, a trip and fall where you have a hazard that is just left there like that, it, it's almost a given that the insurance company for whoever owns or takes care of that property is going to be paying out here whoever is, is the injured party. Uh, the concern, obviously, is with respect to the injuries. But before I get to the injuries, I do want to commend you guys for actually taking a photo. Going back to what Albert said about taking contemporaneous uh, uh, photographs and, and having records of whatever happened that caused the injury. This was a day later, but clearly, you know, the hazard was still there, John. So that's fantastic because now if they remove it, they can't say, oh, it wasn't there mm-hmm. because we know it was. And sometimes, by the way, we have surveillance cameras that look onto these kinds of parking lots as well. But the point is they have a photograph that's fantastic. And this is not going to look good on the defendant here. Now, under Ontario law, the Occupier's Liability Act mandates that owners or anyone that has a responsibility for a property must take reasonable care to make sure that individuals entering that property legally and lawfully are safe. In this case, clearly, that was not the case. So she's injured. And we're talking about a significant injury. You know, when somebody says concussion, we we see that, we hear that word thrown around a lot, but we know even from class actions and American TV, you know, football and boxing, when you're dealing with concussions, concussion can be very serious. Concussion mm-hmm. essentially is a brain injury. I mean, Google the word concussion, you will see the Mayo Clinic has defined it as a brain injury. Some of these brain injuries are mild. Some of these are a lot more serious. Hopefully, Sophia, your friend's injury is, is not serious. Hopefully, she recovers. But the reality here is that she fell. She tripped and fell through no fault of her own. Clearly, someone was at fault here, whether it's the owner of the property, whether it was a contractor that simply left this hazard there, or someone else, whoever that is. The owner of the property, whoever was responsible for this property, will be held liable. Now, there's an argument that maybe your friend should have been looking where she was going. Fine. Remember that when we're talking about fault for accidents, we're not talking about necessarily 100% of fault. Maybe she is... 10% at fault for not watching where she was going. It doesn't matter. The point is she's injured and injured severely. We can help your friend, Sophia. This is a kind of case, John, that could easily be in the six figures, depending on the severity of the injury and what happened with the concussion. It could even be seven figures. So, Sophia, please get your friend in touch with us. We'll talk to her for free and explain everything, and we'll take care of whatever she needs help with. 
Fellas, quick half hour, but uh, lots covered there and a chance for you to reach out to talk to either Savannah or Albert or their teams any time. They're always willing to have a chat and uh, do their due diligence and educate as well. How do you do it? Uh, phone call. First of all, one 821 5900 And the email address we just pulled from, thank you again, Sophia. That is help at disabilityrights.ca. Any other questions can be asked through a searchable database. Great website that's also anonymous, so it's really cool to use. My Disability Questions dot com is where you'll find that and we'll join you next time this weekend tomorrow as a matter of fact right here the disability law show but for the uh, the day have a wonderful day and we'll catch you next time the preceding was a paid commercial program unless otherwise identified the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser the opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 640 toronto